Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. You can bird from your backyard or your window or a local park. You don't have to go down a trail. Um, so, yeah, we're trying to also help normalize all these other ways of enjoying birds, even virtually through our virtual field trips. Like folks can tune in um, and go birding in four different states at once. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Imagine birding from the comfort of your own home via Zoom. Well, let's hear about that. We'll speak with Freya McGregor, Bird Ability Coordinator and Occupational Therapist, and Michael Herbin, an avid birder with vision loss, about the organization and how anyone can enjoy birding and the wonderful outdoors, even if they can't leave their own home. But first for our tip of the week. This week, we have two guests, so we have two tips. The first is from Freya McGregor. Um, there's a really amazing app if you have a smartphone called Merlin Bird ID and it's made by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, um, which is up in upstate New York, but they have bird packs for all over the world. Um, if you're in another country or you're traveling to another country, um, it's free. It's really nifty, especially if you're a beginner birder. Um, they have a few different things in there. Uh, if you can see the bird, it can help you identify the bird. You just tell it the date and the place you are and a couple of the colors that you saw and the behavior that the bird was doing and the size. It gives you options for all those. And then it will generate a list of possibilities. It's not always right, but it can help you get somewhere close if you really don't know where to start, especially if you're brand new. They have a new feature in the app with sound ID um, because birds have all these different calls and you can bird by ear very successfully. Um, a lot of sighted birders bird by ear. So the sound ID thing will um, listen to, to what you're listening to and it will generate um, the birds that it thinks you're hearing, which is also a really nifty tip to help you, especially when you get started. Merlin Bird ID is the app. And here's a related tip from Michael Herbin about how he makes use of Merlin and similar apps. The best tip that I have is to utilize, and, and you can get a lot of the stuff online at various uh, birding-related websites that have audio recordings of bird calls. And get used to listening to those when you're not out birding. And it's very nice because if you're familiar with the calls, when you go out and you hear something that, oh, I've been listening to that on the recording, uh, you know, whether it's a CD or whether it's something online, it's, it's really a nice experience when you know what you're listening for before you hear it. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Freya and Michael. So we have two guests with us today. Freya, can you start by introducing yourself? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Freya McGregor. And you have a role with an organization that we'll be talking about today. Yeah, BirdAbility uh, is a brand new nonprofit that's all about sharing the joys of birding with people who have disabilities and other health concerns. And I'm the BirdAbility coordinator and an occupational therapist. So your personal relationship with disability is professional as opposed to experiential. Yes, and slightly no. Um, 
Yes, because I'm an occupational therapist and my background is in blindness and low vision services back home in Australia, where I'm originally from. I don't necessarily identify as having a disability, but we talk a lot about ability about access challenges. And I have something funky going on with my knee and I have for the last two years. And so it's not necessarily a disability, but it, it does definitely impact my ability to go birding the way I would like and to hike um, and be active in the outdoors. So I definitely have an access challenge. As do many people who don't consider themselves disabled. Right. And our other guest is Michael. Can you introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, my name is Michael Herbin. Uh, pronouns are he, him, his. I am a retired physicist and uh, a avid bird watcher. And um, I met up with Freya probably, um, I don't know, last February when she had contacted me online. And I've been an active member of the birdability community uh, since then. And I am legally blind uh, due to retinitis pigmentosa. So I have about 15 degrees of my central field left and um, no night vision to speak of. And most birders go out during the day, but the other issues will come up when you're trying to find a bird. Oh, yes, that's that's really the problem. (laughs) (laughs) If I can get it into that central 15 degrees, then yeah, I will see it. And so I consider myself extremely lucky that I do have a remnant of my vision. You know, I don't know for how long. And I understand you have an interesting goal to reach before you've lost too much vision. Yeah. When I first discovered birds, it was kind of mid, I was in my mid-20s, and my vision started to fail within a few months after that. Just wasn't very good timing. And in the few years that passed beyond that, when I realized how badly my eyesight was going to degrade and how, how degraded it had become, and that I had you know, reach the legal blindness criteria. You know, I had just made a decision then that it's not going to um, stop me from birding and that I'm going to set a really aggressive goal in order to keep myself at this. And that's kind of when I came up with the idea that I would see half the world species. Well, I'll amend that. I would identify at least half the world species because I, I had to learn to accept the idea of ticking a bird off the list that I had only heard and not seen. Um, that, that was something that took me a while to learn to be content with. It's, it's worth noting that um, there are a lot of birds, <laughs> bird species in the world, and I have never met anyone. I've been birding since I was a kid. My parents are birders back in Australia, and I've never met anyone who has been aiming to see five and a half thousand species, seeing or hearing five and a half thousand species of birds until I met Michael. So this is a pretty uh, epic <laughs> undertaking. <laughs> and how many are you up to so far? I have just crossed 4,500. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So I've got, I've got less than a thousand. So it's, you know, <laughs> I don't have to look at a four digit number anymore. It's a three digit number. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like I'm within striking range. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. 
Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is birding, especially for people with various access challenges. Well, Freya, in the introduction, you mentioned birdability and that it was a pretty recent program. Can you tell us when it got started and what its mission is? Yeah, yeah. So the story of birdability goes back three and a half years. Uh, our founder, Virginia Rose, she's a manual wheelchair user in Texas, and uh, she's been using a, a manual wheelchair since she had a spinal cord injury when she was a teenager. Uh, she's now retired, and she says she discovered her best self in nature. She didn't notice anyone else out birding with a wheelchair. And so she decided to make it her mission to try and encourage as many other folks with mobility challenges to go birding and to experience all the joys and all the benefits that birding can provide, like having a sense of community and the learning opportunities, um, the exploration, whether that's exploring far off places or a local park near you that you've just never been to before. There's all these health and wellness benefits we know about. Um, there's a you know growing body of evidence to support what a lot of people just inherently know that being in nature is good for us. Uh, and birds are often that kind of excuse um, to be out in nature for a lot of bird lovers. And so um, she wanted to share those joys of birding with folks with mobility challenges. I came into the picture about a year ago and as an occupational therapist with my background, I was like, hang on, there's all these other folks too that we could be bringing into birding who have access challenges of different kinds, but who definitely can be birders. Anyone can be a birder. The really awesome thing about birding is that there's no wrong way to enjoy birds and you can do it by hearing, you can do it by sight, you can do it walking or mobilizing down a trail, you can do it stationary at a bird feeder or a bird blind. Um, so it's a really accessible hobby or career if you want to make it your career. So we became a nonprofit in January. I'm the only staff member <laughs> at this time, um, which is exciting and a lot of work, but it's such exciting work to do. As the only employee, what does your role entail? Quite a lot. Just as a brand new nonprofit, there's all these nonprofits set up things that I haven't ever done before, but I'm learning all about. Uh, fundraising, for example, there's operations and admin stuff. And then there's the programmatic stuff and putting things out into the world. If it was only Virginia and me trying to do this, we would only get so far. But if we can empower people who are really interested in this too and provide the tools and resources to help them do this work in their own communities, then we're going to get where we want to be so much quicker. So that's how Michael came in as a birdability captain, um, one of these um, awesome volunteers who want to be doing this where they live. Um, and we have a lot of resources on our website and I spend a lot of time creating those and trying to share them with um, as many people as possible through our newsletter and on social media and in presentations to Audubon chapters and bird clubs and bird festivals uh, to um, trying to encourage people to be more welcoming and inclusive, to um, learn a bit more about the physical accessibility of birding locations and how that can impact someone's ability to go birding there and to invite folks from the disability community into your bird club or your Audubon chapter or to your nature centre or on your bird walk or bird outing. And what does your role entail, Michael? Well, starting in uh, last March or so after Freya had uh, contacted me, 
I um, applied and joined up as a, as a birdability captain, so um, a volunteer to do what I can locally to try to further the cause. And so I live in uh, the Twin Cities in Minnesota. And um, one of the first things that we did was I was invited to uh, join a virtual accessible birding event, which was a lot of fun, where there was a broadcast. This was something that Birdability does in coordination with the Georgia Audubon Society in Atlanta, where usually about four different people will be out birding and we'll be using Zoom and we'll kind of go from one person to another and we'll see what we can go out and find. And we'll highlight the places that we're birding and point out, you know, the accessibility-related issues that might pertain there. So I went to a uh, park that's local here. In fact, it's where I go birding very often because uh, with my eyesight, I I don't drive and I don't have the best public transportation options. So I want to go birding. I have to walk where I'm going to go birding. And I'm very lucky that I have a good park uh, not too far away. So I went there, and um, it was a lot of fun to to do that kind of work to try to raise some awareness. And beyond that, I've been working with some of the local groups here. We have a um, a club called the Minnesota Ornithologist Union that has a lot of very active, uh, devoted bird watchers and birders, I should say. And um, I'm trying to get as many people there familiar with birdability as possible, and just try to grow awareness and because we have so many people here in the birding community that, you know, so far a lot of them don't know about birdability yet because it's relatively new. And most of them, when they hear about it, are pretty excited about the idea. So I'm trying to drum up more support. You know, I'm a volunteer. (laughs) I can experience what Ray is going through in terms of um, just how involved this can be. There's a lot to do. So I'm enjoying that. I would imagine there are a number of birders who have physical limitations because, like Freya, you started as a child, but whatever people start birding, they tend not to lose interest. They just continue their interest, and eventually they get old, and when you get old, eventually body parts start failing. So this should have a a large target market. Yeah, absolutely, and that's something that we talk about a lot. Um, I heard someone once talk about how people are only temporarily able-bodied. Uh, and when it sounds kind of pessimistic, but it's also realistic at some point, you never know what's going to happen. A new medical diagnosis, um, you wake up one morning and you can't straighten your knee, for example. Um, or, <laughs> right. Yeah, or you just, you're just getting older and slowing down. And I would like to be birding when I'm 95, but if there aren't benches, that I can get to easily from a trail, for example, um, it may be more of a challenge to go birding out on trails. But that's the really cool thing about birding too, is that while we're also trying to help improve trail accessibility, you can bird from your backyard or your window or a local park. You don't have to go down a trail. Um, So we're trying to also help normalise all these other ways of enjoying birds, even virtually through our virtual field trips. Like folks can tune in, um, and go birding in four different states at once. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Uh, and you don't have to be active or, or outside to enjoy birds. Well, that's really interesting. You know, I thought I misunderstood you at first when Michael talked about getting together in a four-way 
Zoom interaction and going birding, I thought maybe he meant everybody went out separately to a trail and then came back and you talked about it on Zoom. But you're actually doing these birding trips real time for your Zoom, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really fun. So Georgia Audubon um, had been doing this uh, every week since the pandemic started as a way to try and get folks kind of outside but not (laughs) and you know a lot of but um yeah so there's four birders there's either myself or Virginia um our founder representing um birdability there's um usually Karina from George Audubon and then there'll be two guest co-hosts of Michael was as one of those who have their own access challenges and so we're trying to help increase the representation of birds with access challenges we're trying to help highlight the accessible birding locations everyone's at an, a different accessible location um, in usually the people are in four different states uh, so there's all kinds of birds that you might run into in, with that level of um, geographical spread <laughs> and then trying to share a little bit about um, the different um, access challenges that these guest co-hosts have and how they go birding. Uh, and so folks who are tuned in live on Zoom or on Facebook Live can ask questions and learn a bit more. Maybe there's something that maybe they have a similar access challenge and they can get some good ideas or maybe they um, don't have any kind of access challenge but they want to learn how they can be more inclusive and welcoming and so they can get ideas from the guest co-hosts as well. So it's, it's really, really fun. Um, and we still not really decided if you can count a bird as having seen or heard if you've heard it via zoom but I guess that's (laughs) up to everybody to make their own decision on that I'm wondering if you can describe in a little bit more detail how one of these sessions works I imagine birding you have the uh, great feeling of being outside smelling the trees and the wind and the breeze and stuff but you know, my conception is a lot of birding is that people are out there with binoculars and they view a bird and they can see it and you've got to hear the bird. And that doesn't seem real conducive to smartphones, seeing them and hearing them. Do you carry special equipment? How, do, how does this all work? I try to come at it from the perspective that um, if we can find some birds and actually show them and talk about them, that's great. But the main point was to be out birding and kind of describing the experience um, and describing the locale and how it is conducive to, you know, birding for everybody. Uh, But we did want to get some birds in there. So it's interesting, actually, just with your phone, if a bird was calling relatively close by, you could actually hear it. So I could hear birds, you know, in in Georgia and Karina's um, feed, you know, stuff that I don't hear up here and, you know, and vice versa. And that comes across okay just on the microphone from a cell phone. Yeah, I mean, it's not great, but it would be enough for me to recognize what was calling. What I tried to do, I took my um, spotting scope along with me. and Luckily, my wife helped me and was able to help carry around the scope. And then I had an adapter that would allow my phone to attach directly to the scope. So the camera, the phone was looking through the scope. And so I could show some of the ducks and and waterfowl that were on the lake live on the Zoom call. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. We also make sure to describe what the bird looks like in case someone can't see it, even if we have got it in our optics. Uh, And if we can hear it, or even if you can only hear it a little bit, we try and describe a little bit what that sounds like so that if someone was deaf or hard of hearing uh, and they were they were in attendance, they could 
kind of catch up with that a little bit too. And then if we know anything more about the bird, like maybe a little bit of its behavior or where it's found or maybe where it migrates to in the winter, we, we try and share a bit about that too. So Michael, I'm curious, Pete and I take a lot of walks and we'll be walking along and he's totally blind and I'm fully sighted and he'll hear a bird and he'll say, that sounds interesting. What is it? And he'll point and I'll look and my reaction is usually, I don't know, it looks like a tree. But I've got really good distance vision and a full field of view. How do you find the birds with such a narrow field of vision? That's a really good question. You know, a lot often I will hear them before I see them, and that's kind of the clue. I, so I can kind of triangulate to the general area where the sound is coming from. And luckily, my ears are still working really well. Once I have a general direction, I have to do something that um, it's kind of the opposite of what most people would do um, and kind of opposite of what you would naturally be inclined to do, which is to get closer. I will actually tend to go farther away because, you know, the further away I am, the more area gets into my central field. If I'm looking at a distant tree, I can see the entire tree from a distance. Um, if I'm standing next to the tree, I can't because, you know, you can only see a little bit at a time. So I fight that natural impulse to go up to the tree. And rather, I try to position myself so that I can see, you know, the entirety of it. And then I just have to be very patient and look for movement. And of course, that's why, you know, having the binoculars, once I see the movement, um, you know, I can generally get on that area and get it into my binoculars. And then I stand a good chance of seeing it. Um, so, that is a particular part of birding when, when you're um, birding in an area that has a lot of trees and a lot of vegetation that's very dense. Um, very often these places are dark also if you're in a, in a deep forest. Uh, and those are extremely difficult places for me to go birding. And, you know, unfortunately, that's where most of the birds are. The birds love trees. The more trees, the merrier. Yeah. You know, I, I really enjoy um you know, a, a lake full of waterfowl is quite is is pretty easy because they're you know they're sitting ducks, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> they're not going anywhere. They're gonna just putter around out there, and you can take your time and and look at them on the scope, and you know it works really well. And the same thing is usually true with shorebirds that like to come to like mud flats and they work their way. And as long as you're not too close, you know, and you're kind of hidden from them, or you have a scope you can sit there at your leisure and just work through them one at a time. So those two situations are not challenging for someone with really low vision, but the, the forest is, can be a problem. And so I often don't expect to get on the bird. Now that's if I'm alone. Fortunately, um, my wife is a wildlife biologist by training. She grew up as a little girl birding um, and so she's extremely experienced and a very good birder. In fact, I met her shortly after I discovered birds, shortly before I learned about my eyesight. So it, it was all kind of funny how it all came together. But when I realized she was a birder, I married her instantly. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so anyway, when I'm with her, she, she really helps, obviously, to put me on the birds because she, she's fully sighted. And I would guess, like many other sports and recreational activities, it's not just the statistics that count, how many birds have I recognized, but it's also the socialization and the interaction with other people that makes birding a lot of fun. 
there's a big push too at the moment um, in the birding community that I think will just get bigger and bigger, which is veering more away from that listing approach where you're trying to get as many birds on your life list. Um, that's one way to enjoy birds. That's not the only way. Um, and slow birding or casual birding, sort of being more mindful, using birds as therapy, just enjoying the birds for whatever they're up to um, with no other agenda than appreciating them um, is also another way of enjoying birds. And a lot of people will kind of have some combination of the two when they go birding. So if you like listening to birds or looking at birds, then as far as I'm concerned, you're a birder. Um, welcome in. It's, it's a great fun hobby and the community is amazing. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about birdability and birding in general and how to contact Freya McGregor and Michael Herbin directly. Well, Freya, this organization birdability certainly sounds like it can be a lot of fun and very rewarding. Can you tell people how to find out more about it? Yes, uh, please visit our website. It's birdability, that's one word, birdability.org. And we have a lot of information up there, um, including a lot of resources and tools to get you started. And we're looking forward to adding more and more uh, as we learn more and more from other birders with access challenges. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter at birdability. Um, you can sign up for our newsletter too on our website. That's only monthly. And there's also a Facebook group called Birdability Birders. Um, if you have an access challenge and you want to go birding or if you um, really want to learn more about this, join the Facebook group and that's sort of self-sustaining. You know, people share resources in there and ask questions and that's really cool as well. And you can be in community with other birders with similar interests and values that way, even if you don't live anywhere near anyone else like that. And if people had questions for you, can they reach you directly? Yeah, um, the contact us form on our website goes straight to me. My email address is info at birdability.org. And how about you, Michael? If people had questions for you or wanted to connect with you, how would they do that? I do have a blog. In fact, that's how Freya found me, I believe, <laughs> back uh, last year. It is not nearly as informative. It's not a birdability-related one, but it's called legallyblindbirding.net. It really is kind of just my experiences with the intersection between doing a lot of birding and trying to deal with my eyesight issue at the same time. Do you also have a social media presence? Yes, I do on Instagram. Um, it's birding despite disability. And if somebody had a question for you, how would they reach you? My email address, which is herbenm, H-U-R-B-E-N-M, at gmail.com. And in case you missed any of that in the audio, you can find all of that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. And... In the show notes, we'll also have some links to some previous episodes in which we talked about birding if your vision isn't exactly perfect. I also want to mention for those of you who are differently abled, if you subscribe to our Eyes on Success YouTube channel, you can not only listen to Eyes on Success, but you can get closed captions 
that you can read along with. So subscribe to that YouTube channel. Just Google Eyes on Success YouTube. That's it for show number 2142. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about a recently passed United Nations resolution that commits every country to providing eye care. Many people around the world suffer from vision problems that are readily treatable, and this new UN resolution aims to address this problem. We'll speak with Jessica Thompson, Head of Policy and Advocacy at the International Agency for the Prevention of Blindness, about the resolution and what they hope to accomplish. And if you want to learn what the UN is doing for blindness around the world, join us for that episode next week. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.